I want us to stop in um, Daniel chapter 4 for a little bit this morning. And the reason is uh, that there, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn a lesson, which I think many of us need to learn and relearn. And the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn was that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of men. In other words, heaven rules. It's not just a, a, a word and a truth that was relevant for the world 3,000 years ago. It is a truth that is relevant for the world in which we live today. And many of us are angry. Others of us are anxious. Some of us are fearful. And one of the ways in which we can begin to channel that anger or that fearfulness or that anxiousness and to, to put it in a better perspective is to believe in our hearts that God rules earth. The second thing I want to do is take us to Romans chapter 14 and specifically talk about us as a church together. And I want to do it by addressing issues um, which, will, um, which come under the, 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 the heading of adiaphora. Adiaphora is not a biblical word. It's a Greek word, though, that comes from philosophy. And it's a word that's often used to help describe what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 14. Issues of adiaphora are opinions. That's what adiaphora, it's opinion. It's not black and white. It's not necessarily, um, uh, it's not a spiritual issue uh, necessarily. It's matters of indifference. It's matters of opinion. How do we as a church get along together even though we have difference of opinion on matters that aren't morally black and white? And I think you will know when we get to those kinds of things, how do we get along when we have different views about vaccinations, different views about masks, different views about social distancing, different views about liberals or conservatives or the PPC or the Green Party or any number of issues that we hold very strongly but others don't. How do we get along as a people of God and as a family of God in the midst of differing opinions? And so all I ask is that, um, you know, we're at this massive dinner table that I wish we had time to dialogue. I guess if you stood up and shouted a question, I, I would stop and answer it. Um, but I, I just want you to listen and process um, what I'm saying from Scripture and allow the Scriptures to filter your thinking. I think if there's anything that I am convinced of, and this is maybe a summary of what I want to say this morning, is that Loved ones, the Most High rules over the kingdoms of men. And He gives it to whomever He wills, and He sets it over the lowliest of men. And that life in that kingdom of God is not a matter of masks or vaccines or social distancing or this political party or that. But life in the kingdom is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the summary of where I want to go. I want to dive in now to Daniel chapter 4, if you have your Bibles there. And uh, I think I ran out of time this morning, so I'm not going to read a lot, large chunk of Daniel 4. You'll have to take my summary of it. And I would encourage you to go home this afternoon and read all of Daniel chapter 4. But as we come to Daniel uh, chapter 4, uh, there's been an amazing revelation of God um, in a big picture way through the book of Daniel to this point. You come to Daniel chapter 2, and there we get this reminder that our God is a God who reveals the future. He knows the future, and therefore He reveals the future. You come to Daniel chapter 3, and we have a God who rescues. There are the three young men who are thrown into the fiery furnace, and God rescues them. 
Uh, then we come to Daniel chapter 4, we have the reminder that God rules. And so what Nebuchadnezzar is up, up against is he is the, uh, the leader, the king of the, probably one of the most powerful kingdoms that have ever existed on this earth. It's described as a kingdom which all the kingdoms were in submission to him. Uh, all the peoples were in submission to him. Even the animals and the birds of the sky were in submission to Nebuchadnezzar. He was the top dog. The problem with Nebuchadnezzar, he was convinced that it was him who brought that about. It was him that gained that position. It was him that gained that power. And so God needed to teach Nebuchadnezzar a lesson, and it's a lesson that we all need to learn. And it's this, that the Most High is ruler over the kingdoms of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. Just have to let that settle into your heart and your mind today when you think about the present leaders that are over us and why they are there, and how they got there. See, as Daniel interprets this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and in the dream he sees this tree that was in the middle of the earth, and this tree provided uh, a covering and safety and security for all kingdoms, for all people, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. That was a way of describing Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom as massive. And so Daniel comes to him and with the interpretation. At this point, he didn't know that. He says, The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to the heavens and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and fruit in abundance in which was food for all under the beasts of, and under it which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you. God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, You are the ruler of the known earth right now over everything. But Nebuchadnezzar did not grasp that he was ruler over that because God had set him there. Jeremiah chapter 27 helps us a little bit understand this, that before the people of God went into the exile, this was God's proclamation through um, Jeremiah. He said, this is God, it is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth. God made this earth. And he says, With the men and the animals that are on the earth, I give it to whomever it seems right to me. That includes today, whether you're NDP or liberal or progressive conservative or green or whoever you are, whoever is in authority, God has given them that authority. And he goes on and he says, Now I have given all of these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Whether Nebuchadnezzar recognized that or not, he was the servant of God. And then he finishes, And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. Yet Nebuchadnezzar wasn't willing to accept that. He wasn't willing to believe that that was true. He was really happy with a God who lived away up there, but he didn't want a God who had any influence on the world in which he lived. Oh, it's good that, you know, it's great to believe in the gods and they can have their heaven and they can float around and do what they want, but don't mess with me here on earth. And Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn that actually God is the ruler of the kingdoms of men, that heaven rules. And we find that when we come to the conclusion of the, of the vision that he gets, that 
angel says, this is the sentence of the Most High that has been passed against my Lord the King. Do you understand what the angel is saying? God has passed sentence on a human king, and this is what will happen to him. Heaven rules. And then a little bit later in verse 31, it says, a voice came from heaven, and that was the end of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Loved ones, we need to be reminded that heaven rules. Now, there's a couple of things that I found fascinating and, and have been teaching me and working through in my own heart and mind about how Daniel responds to the king. The first thing that we see is after he gets this uh, vision told to him and then God gives him the interpretation, it says in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Bel- Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and says, Belshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my lord, May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. You understand what Daniel is saying there? Daniel's response is a response to what we might say, love your enemies. Daniel's response is a lesson for us on how we respond to those we don't like. How we don't respond to maybe those who are enemies or those who rule over us. Daniel had so willingly and so completely served the man who had destroyed his homeland, devastated his city, deported his people, most likely made him a eunuch, had taught him a new language, had taught him the magic arts of the Babylonians, had taught him how to interpret the stars, had expected him to go by a name change. Daniel could have easily been so ripped at this king that he shut up and says, I'm not going to tell you what that dream means. I'm not going to serve you, O king. You're on your own. You're my enemy. But rather, Daniel understood this truth, that this king was there because God had placed him there. This king was in authority over him and all of the Jews because God had placed him there. And because Daniel's submission was to God and primarily and not to the king, Daniel was able to love his enemy and speak a word of kindness to him. And so we see from Daniel, at least, that serving Nebuchadnezzar was actually a means of serving the God who had appointed him. And that is something, I think, that we also need to wrestle with in our anger and our fear and our frustrations. We look at the officials that are over us. That as we come to in our own minds and our own hearts, understand what it means to serve them. As we serve them, we are serving God who put them in place, as Romans chapter 13 would tell us. The second thing that I see about Daniel's response to him, as I'm convinced that Daniel prayed for Nebuchadnezzar, we know that Daniel was a man of prayer. Um, We find at the end of his life that that's one way in which they try and took him down. And Daniel was a man who played three times a day. I don't think that was a habit that he started at the end of his life. I think that was a habit that he started very early in his life and he determined that he was going to pray to the God of heaven three days or three times in each and every day. And it was likely a prophecy of Jeremiah that convinced Daniel of the importance of prayer even for Nebuchadnezzar who had done so much harm to him and the people. In Jeremiah 29, Verses 4 and 7, this is what Jeremiah prophesied about the people of Israel as they're about to be exiled to Babylon. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. They didn't just happen to get beat up by the king Nebuchadnezzar. They, it just wasn't just a fluke of chance of an army that came along and grabbed them and took them back to Babylon. God sent them into Babylon. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on their behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That's fascinating to me. And it's been instructive to me. Paul makes the same point a little bit later in 1 Timothy. He says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead quiet and peaceful lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing to God. As I've interacted with people and I've interacted with myself, I do talk to myself. I find sometimes that some of us are so angry. We're just ripped up inside because we don't have control and we're ticked off at what's going on in the world around us and we can't do anything about it. On the other hand, some of us are so afraid. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn and we're anxious and we're, we're worried about things going on inside of us. And sometimes we say, well, what do we do with that anger? What do we do with that fear? What do we do with that anxiety? Well, one of the things we do is pray. It's not just, it's not just sort of an easy pill that we take. Sometimes it's such a simplistic thing to say, but it's so true. Pray. In everything, with prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known to God. And the God of all peace will grant your hearts and your minds peace. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. I've been struck by how little I have prayed these last 16 months for those in authority over me. It was like the Spirit of God just hit me over the side of the head a few weeks ago when I started thinking about this text. I just haven't prayed. I've been anxious. I've been angry. And I've railed with my opinions and my ideas, but I haven't prayed. Daniel reminds us that God has things under control. And if we want to channel our anger or fear or anxiety, channel it towards God in prayer and say, God, I'm angry, I'm fearful, I'm anxious, but I know you are in control of this world. He's got the whole world in his hands. Timothy reminds me that those in authority over me can to a measure determine my peace and my tranquility. Whether that is the peace and tranquility that I experience outside of me or the peace and tranquility that I experience inside of me, I think it can be both and or. But nonetheless, Paul ties prayer for those in authority over us so that we might live lives of peace and quiet, godly and dignified in every way. So I'm determined to pray more for those in authority over me. I was also thrilled to get an email while I was away last week just mentioned that a group of people were gathering here on Monday morning to pray in the prayer room for our country, for our province, for our leaders. I hope that that will continue. I hope that from here to, to Christmas at least, every week there will be 
people that will gather together and say, let's, let's go to the church and pray. Let's come to our house and pray. And pray for those in authority over us. I guess in the end of the day, one of the questions I ask myself then is, what will it take for you and I to conclude that the Most High rules in heaven? I think as we come to that conclusion, that will help us navigate our own path. And there are different paths through this in our response to those in authority. There are different paths. But all of those paths come from a conviction that heaven rules earth. The second thing that I've been wrestling with is simply that God is real and that changes everything in relation to my brothers and sisters in Christ. As I mentioned, adiaphora refers to matters of indifference, matters of personal conscience. In a biblical context, they are things that morality neither mandates nor forbids. Things that are non-essential to faith, what we might even call spiritually neutral opinions. Paul tells us we are not to quarrel over them. The Bible neither condemns nor approves these things. They're gray areas. So can I just re-mention some of the elephants in the room, some of the opinions that we quarrel over? Masks, vaccines, social distancing, Green Party, PPC Party, Conservative Party, Paul's Party. I don't have a party. As we move through this text, please hear me. I think this is God's intention for us, but my desire is not to prescribe to you certain things. You have to find your own path. But rather, it's to describe to you what I think the Scripture is saying on some of these things. And my plea for us as a body of Christ here at Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church is for acceptance of one another despite the diversity of our attitudes and opinions and that we might make it a priority to walk in love with one another. So if you have your Bibles open, you can just follow quickly through. I'm just really going to read Romans 14 and make some comments as we go through it. Verses 1 to 4 in Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Adiaphora. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? In other words, who are you to judge or pass judgment on a servant of God? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul is going to make distinction here between the weak in the faith and the strong in the faith. I want you to hear these are not salvific issues. In other words, you are not saved if you get a vaccine, and you are not saved if you don't get a vaccine. You are not saved if you wear a mask, and you're not saved if you don't. Those opinions will not save you. They're not salvific issues. So, Understand that as Paul is talking about these. Secondly, 
The core issue is not food or eating meat or the celebration of different days. The issue is how do we get along with one another on matters of opinion, matters that are not black and white, matters that are not morally good or morally back. And thirdly, you might be asking me and say, okay, well, Paul, who are the weak and who are the strong? I'm not going to get drawn into that. What I will say to you is the weak are characterized by being judges. That's what the passage says, by being judges. The weak pass judgment on the actions and the decisions of the strong. They're shocked that anyone might act in a certain way, and they judge them and say, how dare you do that? Where the strong, on the other hand, are characterized by looking down on those who don't share their opinions. They despise them. They look on them with contempt and disdain. They can't believe how naive they must be to not share their opinion. So we can be weak in some opinions and strong in other opinions. We're, we're not always weak or always strong, but it's our attitude that determines whether we're weak or strong. Do we judge or do we disdain others? So we'll leave it to the Holy Spirit to work in each of our own hearts to help us understand where we land. The tone is simply said in verse 1, don't quarrel over opinions. It's just, a, just really basic good advice for the family of God when we gather together. Don't quarrel over different opinions. It's okay to have a different opinion. And those of us who have opinions might be miles apart on the same issue. It's okay to be miles apart on things that don't matter. Although we think they matter to us, but it's okay to have a difference of opinion. But don't turn them into issues to quarrel over. And even worse, don't spiritualize them. Don't say that if you hold this opinion, you're more spiritual than that person. So avoid the temptation that you have to win an argument by spiritualizing the argument. Maybe ask yourself, will this issue gain me heaven? Or will quarreling over this matter of opinion cause spiritual harm to my brother or sister in Christ? See, what Paul is really saying here is, who are you to say bollocks to another person's opinion? What matters is each of our standing before God. And Paul will say this more clearly. Verses 5 to 12, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Do you see what Paul is saying there? He says, we've got people of different opinions, and they're equally giving thanks to God that they've concluded that, and they're equally honoring God by holding that. So, he says, we've got a whole bunch of people that are living in wonderful tension before God, even though they hold a variety of opinions before Him. For if we live... We live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. See, Paul doesn't spiritualize opinions. What he does say, though, is that 
whatever opinion you hold, just give thanks to God that he's led you to that conclusion. And honor God as you maintain that opinion in a way that is pleasing to God. You, you, see, you, you might say, well, that's confusing, Paul. Well, no, it's really not confusing, I guess, in my mind. Really, what Paul says is, whatever opinion you hold, you should be fully convinced in your own mind. You don't necessarily have to convince somebody else of that, but just if that's opinion that you hold, just be fully convinced in your own mind. And he believes also this, that whatever you believe, you need to honor the Lord in holding that opinion. In another place, Paul writes, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I do think this, though, that the way you hold your opinion matters. And you say, well, why? Well, because every one of us is going to have to stand before God and give an account of ourselves and our opinions and the way that we held them. It doesn't matter which side of an issue on or the, the variety of opinions on any particular issue through over a, a spectrum. You will not judge me in heaven. I will not judge you. But I will give an account before God of the things that I said, of every word I've uttered and every opinion I've held. So yes, have an opinion. But understand this, your opinions are never divorced from your relationship with God. I think sometimes we confuse that. We think that our opinions are here and our walk with God is over here. And we can kind of hold whatever opinion we want in any way we want, but that has no influence on my relationship or my walk with God. Well, no, that's not true. You can't divorce your opinions or the way you hold them from your relationship with God and the way you walk before God. While your opinion might be a matter of indifference, it is not a matter of indifference as it relates to your relationship with God. Paul goes on and he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, or by what you believe about masks, or by what political party you belong to and you're going to vote for, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, by what you think about masks, political parties, Republicans, Democrats, Taliban, whatever it might be, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, <laughs> the kingdom of God is not a matter of opinions. And you fill in the opinion there. The kingdom of God is not a matter of opinions, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, pursue peace and what builds up one another. The way you hold your opinion matters. As I've said, your opinion can be your own, but the way you hold it matters. Even if it is correct, it can have disastrous consequences for another brother and sister in Christ if you try and convince them too powerfully to your way. 
Listen to what Paul's language. He says, let us not pass judgment on anyone any longer. He's just saying this has got to stop. We need to stop quarreling over matters of opinion. People are getting hurt. People are confused. They're just earthly opinions. They don't matter in the light of eternity. Secondly, he says, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. It's just a reminder for us, if we haven't already, decide in your heart that if you're in a conversation with somebody, you can tell that you're just of different opinions and you're, you're not going to get on the, the same page, and, and, but you still feel strong. No, just say, you know what? This is not an issue for me to press because I don't want to cause stumbling in my brother or sister in Christ. I will not try to persuade them to the point of causing them spiritual harm. He says, if your brother or sister is grieved by what you are holding, you are no longer walking in love. You might win the argument. You might even make your opinion be the most logical or accepted one. But if you've hurt another people, but if you've hurt another person, is the cost worth it? By what you are persuaded in yourself, do not destroy one for whom Christ has died. But pursue righteousness, peace, and joy. See, the kingdom of God, God's kingdom is coming to earth. And that kingdom is not a matter of opinions. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness here, he's not referring to our legal standing here before God justification. He's referring to our righteous behavior before one another and towards one another. The kingdom of God is about righteousness. It's about how we treat one another, how we, how we, how we fill out the, 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 the law and the ways of God towards one another. Compassion, gentleness, patience, kindness, goodness. It's about peace. Loved ones, we have people that even walked in this building today and they are full of anger. Or they're full of anxiety, or they're anxious, or they, they, they can't visit one of their children, but they can visit the other one. They, they, can't, have, they can't go see this grandchildren, but they can see that grandchild. They, they don't know if they've got a job tomorrow because of decisions they've made. They don't, they don't, they don't know what their body's going to do if they do this. They don't know who to vote for. They, they walk in here. The last thing we need to do is confront one another with opinions. What we need to do is pursue peace with one another. And talk about things that build one another up. And things that make for peace. And he says the kingdom of God is about joy in the Holy Spirit. I've got another confession to make. I've maybe not been as joyful these last number of months as I really should have been. It bothers me. Because one of the things that Christians ought to be is joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Are we grieved by our joylessness? Maybe my weakness in these last number of months has been because the Lord has not been my strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the spirits is what? Joy. Do we exhibit joy when we gather together? We have a lot to be joyful for. We're, we're children of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. God has put clothes on our back and food in our fridges. And He has saved us by His power through the work of Christ. 
We live in a country that, even though we're ticked at some things, we've got so many freedoms and so many things that, that are good and reasons to be joyful. We've got a hope of heaven to come and the new earth and the new heavens to come. That is reason to be joyful. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And so will we determine together, as the people of God here, to remind ourselves again and again to pursue peace with one another and what builds one another up. God is real. The kingdom of heaven is real. And that changes everything. May God help us these days to stay united, even though there are many reasons to have opinions that are different on so many different issues. I want to end, I, I wanted to play a song, but copyright issues and all that kind of stuff don't let me play a song. And then I got thinking, well, it's not a Christian song either, so I didn't want to get emails about playing a non-Christian song. <laughs> but it's a song that I've been listening to, I, I don't know, I just stumbled across it uh, about a month ago as I started thinking about Romans 14. And it might not mean anything to you, but you've got to listen to it online and just go to YouTube and um, plug in More Like Love by Ben Rector. It's a haunting, just beautiful song. But here's just a few lines from this song, which I think summarized what I really wanted to say this morning. I used to think I needed all the answers. I used to need to know that I was right. I used to be afraid of things I couldn't cover up in black or white. Now I just want to look more like love. I just want to look more like love. The whole world is spinning crazy and I can't quite keep up. So one thing around here that we don't have quite enough of, I just want to look more like love. I find the further that I climb, there's always another line of mountaintops. It's never going to stop. And the more of anything I do, the thing that always ends up true is getting what I want will never be enough. So I just want to look more like love. May that be true of us, that in the midst of all our opinions, there will always be more things for us to argue about, more things for us to discuss, more things for us to pursue. But may our priority simply be, I just want to look more like love. Father, we thank you for your word today. I recognize, Father, that you have made us all unique and that each one of us is accountable individually before you. But our actions do impact those around us, Father, in the body of Christ. Our actions do influence those who serve over us by your appointment in the governments. So would you help us find the path that you have determined for each one of us that most honors you as we serve those who you have placed in authority over us? And may we find ways, Father, to pursue peace with one another and what builds one another up. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.